Khan Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Hello, my name is Emma McIntyre. I'm a partner in the property litigation team at Mishkondorea. I'm joined today by Isabel Leach, an associate in the team, and David Boyne, a telecom surveyor, for the second of two podcasts relating to the Electronic Communications Code. Together, we're going to discuss the steps that need to be taken if a landowner wishes to terminate a telecoms operator's rights over the land and have equipment removed. In the previous podcast, we talked about what landowners should be aware of when operators want to install kit on a new site. In this podcast, we will deal with what steps the landowner would take if it wants to redevelop a site on which telecoms equipment is located. The code imposes a form of security of tenure. Simply terminating the contractual agreement is not enough. If the code applies, a landowner also needs to terminate the code rights. To do this, the site provider needs to rely on one of the four grounds of termination. These are where there have been substantial breaches by the operator, a persistent delay by the operator in making payments under the code agreement, the grounds that would prevent the imposition of an agreement in the first place are made out, i.e. the landowner can show that the prejudice caused is not compensatable in money, and that the landowner's interest in terminating the agreement outweighs the public interest of having it in place. Or there's an intention on the part of the landowner to redevelop. The site provider has no control over the first two grounds, and we've already touched upon the third ground in our first podcast. We'll therefore be assuming in this podcast that the site provider wishes to redevelop. The steps that need to be taken will depend on when the parties entered into the agreement. It will either be the new provision set out in the code, or if the agreement was entered into before the new code came into effect, there are transitional provisions which will apply. As with the previous podcast, a site provider is the occupier of land. It could therefore be the landlord or the tenant who can grant the code rights. So, Isabel, what procedure do landowners need to follow to terminate a code agreement or remove the kit? So, for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to assume that the agreement we're talking about is still in place. Um, We won't be covering agreements that contractually expired prior to the introduction of the new code. But the example that we're basing this on, that the code agreement is due to come to an end in December 22. So if that agreement was entered into after the 28th of December 2017, i.e. after the introduction of the new code, then it will be dealt with entirely under the provisions of the new code. What landowners particularly need to be aware of is that the time periods under the new code are extremely long. You have to give 18 months notice to the operator that you need them to that you want to terminate their agreement and you have to specify one of the grounds of termination so we are obviously going to be talking about redevelopment in this instance if a contract comes to an end within 18 months 18 months is still needed so if you if you have a contract as in this case where the agreement terminates in december 2022 if you serve an 18 month notice even now that would terminate in february 2023. Is that right? That's correct. So 
because we need to terminate the agreement and the code, right? It doesn't matter if the agreement actually terminates before the 18-month period. You still have to give 18 months to terminate the code, right? And what about if the agreement uh, comes to an end after the 18 months? So the, the, the minimum, you cannot terminate the code right prior to the end of the contractual term. Okay. So what happens after you've served your 18-month notice? So the operator has three months after service of the no- initial notice to serve a counter notice. By serving the counter notice, they preserve their right to rely on the code. And from that point where they serve a counter notice, they then have a further three months to apply to the tribunal. Once it reaches the tribunal, it's important to consider that the tribunal will hear cases within six months. So it's quite speedy in comparison, for example, to county court proceedings. Uh, but it is the tribunal has only limited scope because if the ground is satisfied they have to order termination it's only if the landowner doesn't satisfy the ground then the tribunal can choose to either continue renew or modify the agreement in question but this means that if you have an 18 month notice that you've served and the tribunal is very quick at getting things through, you could have a decision on termination before expiry of that 18-month notice. That's correct. You, and landowners need to be alert to the fact that a operator who's really on it can push them into having to prove their redevelopment intentions before they're necessarily ready. But they wouldn't, uh, I think it's important just to check that even if uh, an order for termination is made before the end of the 18-month period, a a landowner would still have to wait until the end of the 18-month period before being able to take any further action. Yes, that's right. Uh, And what does a a landowner occupier need to show to satisfy the redevelopment ground? So redevelopment under the code is akin to ground F, under the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954, i.e. the redevelopment ground of opposition that a landlord would rely on to oppose the grant of a business lease, which means that they have to show that it has its funding in place, that it either has planning or is likely to be granted planning shortly. Basically, all the practical elements of doing the development are taken care of and that will be used as evidence to show that it has a genuine intention to develop. And the reason for, for that is that it's it's got to be able to show that uh, that it's got that intention to develop on termination or soon after the termination date. Yes, that's correct. So is this the same for an agreement that was entered into before the new code came into effect? The position in relation to pre-new code agreements is slightly different. Again, we're assuming here that this agreement was still in place when the new code came into force, in which case you're looking at the transitional provisions of the code. For 54 Act protected tenancies, the 18-month notice process does not apply. Um, So in those cases, it should be dealt with under the 54 Act. 
for agreements where the 54 Act doesn't apply, so they're contracted out, a landowner potentially has more scope because they can follow the 18 months notice process or if the equipment was installed prior to the 28th of December 2017, the landowner can also rely on paragraph 20 of the old code, which entitles a landlord to serve a notice requiring the alteration of the apparatus, which would probably give the landowner the option to terminate the agreement much quicker. There is one question mark over this. There was a county court decision that suggested that alteration of the equipment would not include complete removal. It was only a county court decision, so it stands to be overruled. But so far, that question hasn't been dealt with again. Once an order has been obtained um, or the operator fails to serve a counter notice or issue proceedings within the required time limits, um, is that the end of it? Or can a landowner then simply remove the equipment at the end of the 18-month notice period? Unfortunately, the answer to that is no. So terminating the agreement is the first step. If the landlord successfully terminates the agreement, they can't just waltz onto the site and remove the kit. They need to ask the operator to remove it. And if the operator refuses, then the landlord has to serve a further notice. And if within 28 days of that notice, the parties can't agree on how and when this equipment's going to be removed and the land restored, then the landlord has to make a further application to the tribunal, which would probably take another three to six months. And the tribunal can then make an order requiring the operator to remove the kit or a separate order enabling the landlord to sell it. David, so what, what's the role of the telecoms surveyor in this process and, and how do you go about doing that? Uh, well, the, the role of the telecom surveyor uh, is to support the building owner in his redevelopment process. As a high level, it's to fast track the removal of the operator's equipment from the development site. But in the first instance, it's a question of standing back and looking at the bigger picture. We look at the review of the building development strategy. We understand the timings. We understand as to what is anticipated. The circumstances surrounding, for argument's sake, a complete demolition of a building with operator's gear on the roof of, the, of that property, which has to go, um, is different to the consideration of a partial refurbishment or the addition of floor decks, which may entail a lift and shift of the equipment uh, from, from that side. We look at the, re we, we review the agreements that are in place between the operators and the landlord. We look at the radio plans. We look at how the operator is utilizing a particular building to understand the strengths and weaknesses that they have. The building may not be suitable for them. With regards to service of notices, it might be that they have an anticipation to outplan or to lose that building. And therefore, there's a dialogue that's entered into outside the legal process with regards to understanding how they are using the property. As we said before, it depends upon the building owner's development plans, the time scales. We look at the wider estate of what they have. Do they have nearby buildings that might be suitable for an operator to, uh, to remove 
too, because to work with an operator is a lot, can be uh, a lot easier than working litigiously against them to remove them or unpick them from a building. So you look at the wider strategy and, and, and how that puts together. And so the agreement, I mean, you can, therefore, although the tribunal is there in the background, you can reach an agreement with the operator as the circumstances in which the their occupation is going to come to an end. Do you still need to involve the court in that process, Isabel? So if the parties can come to an agreement quickly enough that no referral needs to be made to the tribunal, then it's possible to go down that route. However, what's usual is that the parties negotiate, the operator will send their counter notice and go off to the tribunal to protect their position. And during this time, negotiations are ongoing and the parties will then file a consent order with the tribunal um, settling the proceedings on the term, whatever terms they have agreed. It's also possible sometimes just for the security that the parties will reach agreement, then issue and immediately settle just so that it has that stamp of the tribunal on it. But that is presumably the reason why it's it's useful to have the telecom surveyor there talking, discussing with the operators, as you say, to to almost it's to, to move it up their list. The operators have got presumably numerous sites that they're having to deal with and the aim must therefore be to try and get yourself into a situation where if an agreement can be reached it can be reached relatively quickly without incurring the time and expense of having to deal with court proceedings. Uh, in addition to that Emma, the uh, currently within the UK there are about 50,000 telecommunication installations about 60% of rooftops 40% of greenfields or brownfield, brownfield sites the operators have limited resource. They have managing agents, uh, the MBNLs, um, the Cornerstones infrastructure companies, who then set down to uh, agents, telecommunications agents acting on their behalf. So within the 50,000 sites across the UK, they, there are normally about 1,000 to 2,000 sites which are at risk. They have a traffic light model, which is green, amber, red. And the red sites are those that are under stress of the operators losing them. Because of the changes within new code and the reduction in value or rental or consideration or compensation, uh, a large number of landowners are saying, we don't want to play this game anymore. Therefore, we'll serve a notice to get rid of them because it costs us more to facilitate their occupation than, um, uh, than we're actually receiving under this new regime of no market or no scheme market. Uh, within a redevelopment scenario, it's really, really essential and important that a landowner's position is represented correctly. And it's getting to the top of the list of that 1,000 to 1,500 sites that the operators are looking at, because potentially a number of those aren't under risk of redevelopment, but the landlords say they are because they're not very happy with the, with, with the operators. So it's the engagement is with the agents to the operators to seek to provide potentially a solution for them to understand that it's 
a serious redevelopment to provide the detail of the timings, provide the details of the plannings or the negotiations that may still be not provided a planning permission, but a landowner will spend millions of pounds on doing big, big development schemes in the background before they obtain their Section 106 or their finalised planning permission from that side. So it's getting to the top of the tree and ensuring that a landowner doesn't just sit back, we've served a notice, I'm sure they'll go in 18 months' time. There needs to be that dialogue. Thank you. So just going now, sort of almost full circle, back to where we started in our first podcast, what should landowners be considering at the time of entering into an agreement to give them the broadest possible scope to be able to redevelop when they want to? So it is essential that landowners consider that there are any potential redevelopment plans early, i.e. before they enter into the agreements, because the there's a major issue if the site provider wants to redevelop during the term because you can't terminate before the end of the contractual termination day. So you need to give yourself the ability to break the agreement in circumstances where you redevelop. And often we see that landowners don't think about these things early enough, enter into these agreements, and then they're stuck because they can't do anything until that agreement comes to an end. And is there anything else, David, from from your point of view that needs to be considered or that, that could be considered? Uh, yes. Uh, in, in, in the background, the operators are predominantly engineering companies. They're not surveyors. They're not property owners. They don't really sort of look at that stuff in connection with what uh, building owners want to do with their own particular buildings. And this is one of the issues of new code and the breakdown of relationships between landlords and the operators with regards to existing sites. Um, Again, from an engineering point of view, it's a cellular system. 50,000 sites linked together that all talk to each other to provide this coverage over a large part of the UK. The operators have generally spent in excess of £200,000 in building a rooftop site and in excess of £100,000 to £150,000 in building a a mast or a tower on a brownfield or a greenfield site. For their side, once they've built it, it's linked into all those other, other different sites and they, they're strategically located to work in synchronicity. Um, it's expensive, time-consuming and difficult for them to move a site. Losing one site may mean that they have to rebuild in a complete area. Replacement build costs could be in excess of £1 million, and that's one of the reasons why they will push back on rebuilding a site or having to spend large amounts of money on rebuilding a site in the short term. Timescales to remove under the old code were historically 18 months plus. That's the reason for the new code requiring an 18-month notice period. Due to the freezing of the market under the new code, this time can be extended to three years plus. It's becoming much more difficult for the operators to engage with happier landlords to site their new equipment on it. In the background, the operators are seeking under the new code agreements for the site provider to be responsible for lift and shift costs. And these could be for a small move, £30,000, for a large relocation on a building, upwards of £400,000. So it's really, really important that if the time horizon is to consider a redevelopment, that a site provider 
has that ability within their contractual arrangement with an operator and therefore for break clauses to be built in or for lift and shift clauses to be clearly included within the agreements. Presumably the, the advantage with a lift and shift is that it gives a bit more flexibility and it doesn't require that 18 month notice period. That's correct. It is uh, a lift and shift under a redevelopment. It might be, and this is part of this general strategy, it might be that a building owner doesn't necessarily need to get rid of the operators. There may be a plan B whereby their equipment can be temporarily moved into a location then and then move back onto a higher floor deck if a, if a floor deck is being used. And we're involved with quite a number of these sites where this has occurred, and we've worked together with the operator. However, as we said before, the costs can be pretty substantial. It's not that straightforward to actually move this stuff, and therefore the landlord, building owner, should include or seek to include within his agreements that the operator will be responsible for these costs as opposed to him having to put into his pocket. Just to jump in there, the one thing that landowners do need to bear in mind about lift and shift clauses, i.e. the clauses allowing them to relocate the equipment to another site or different part of the site, is that it is at the end of the day a contractual agreement. So if the operator doesn't do it, then they would be looking at going to court um, and seeking specific performance of that contractual obligation. In the majority of cases, operators have done it. It's just something to bear in mind. And Isabel, is there anything else at the sort of the negotiation stage that a, a landowner occupier might want to consider or see if it can agree with an operator? So there is something under the new code called interim rights. The 18-month notice process does not apply to interim rights, um, which are rights that are granted for a particular period or until the occurrence of a particular event. An example that we talked about in the first podcast was the right to survey could be an interim right, but equally the right to install equipment could be an interim right. Again, a case that we mentioned in the first podcast was the University of the Arts case, where the landowner successfully resisted imposition of a permanent agreement because it had uh, entered into contractual obligations with a developer to give vacant possession. The landowner actually confirmed in that case it would have accepted a five-year interim code agreement to install kit, but a permanent agreement, which would come automatically with this 18-month notice period, cause too much of a prejudice to them so it's possible that there might be some negotiation in over whether the right should be permanent or interim as well therefore i think that the the moral of the tale is that if you are a a landowner occupier you need to be thinking at the time you're negotiating the agreement to give you um, what scope you may need in order to bring that agreement to an end at the time that you want, if there is going to be scope for redevelopment, um, what things need to go into the agreement, and bear in mind that it's going to take time. You're going to have to, you, know, you could easily have a minimum period of eighteen months before you're going to be able to get back possession of the premises, and to factor that in in relation to any development plans that you have. 
I think that that brings an end to our discussion. Thank you both very much for your time. If you have any queries or would like advice, you'll be able to find our details on our website at www.mishcon.com. Please do join us for our next podcast in which we will cover another topic of current interest in the property sphere. Meanwhile, thank you for listening. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com.